so far in all of our conversations, conservation seems to be a reoccurring theme. You know, your, your family's really dedicated to that. And uh, one thing you mentioned to me too is, is I know most of the hunting clubs I've been associated with are wide open every day of the season, but you guys right. are actually selective on when you allow groups to come here. We are. So you know, we mentioned before, the one thing you can control is gun pressure. So we try, we'd like to have about two to three days off in between groups try to give the birds time to rest and kind of reset so we can start over fresh. And it, a lot of that is due to taking care of the resource. And the other part of that is delivering quality. If you can't deliver quality in any line of business, you're not going to stay in business very long. So so how many days, I'm not exactly sure what the Arkansas season allows, but how do y'all structure, how many days do you actually have? We'll work about 20 days out of the year. Now we'll still have some personal time taking kids, friends, family having you guys out, you know, stuff like that. But generally one out of three is kind of what we do. So it's a special, special, it makes it even more special being here, you right. know, to know it's a limited opportunity. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of those clubs around that, that run wide open 60 days out of the year in the state of Arkansas. And there's, they're, they're a dime a dozen, you know, and that's not something we've ever really, that's not our goal. Uh, you and I talked earlier, you know, Gros Savon, I, I call it our business model, but it's a, uh, we would not be successful if we didn't have the, the acreage that we have. Right. Know, we're hunting on about 50,000 yeah. acres of land. We only hunt nine blinds a day, so we get to bounce around. Right. So there's there's blinds that we may only hunt once a year, sure. but when the birds are there, the opportunity's there. So uh, I, I, I really understand what pressure in a blind was. If we had to hunt our spots every day, we'd never kill a limited duck other than a couple times a year. Right. You know, so it's cool you have a limited amount of acreage, which this form is about, you said, 3,000 yep, acres? 3,000. So it's really cool that, that you've really sacrificed revenue to to promote conservation sure. because you could run a crew of people here every day if you wanted to. Yeah, you know, people call us all the time early in the year, even late in the summer, and we're already booked up, and I think they have a hard time understanding how you book up that quick and we try to kind of explain loosely over a phone conversation and we don't we don't run wide open we don't hunt that many days so it's limited to start with and then you know most of our clients are repeat they have a good time and they they see the effort we put into it and that, that's a powerful statement to, to know you turn down revenue knowing you could make it in the name of conservation which is kind of in line with what your grandfather did way back in the day right. with, his, with his rest areas and stuff that's really cool I think for us the, the biggest thing for me, and you know, what I really want to teach my children is it's it's bigger than me. The whole place is, you know, it's it's my grandfather's place. It's his legacy. I'm just lucky enough to be a part of it. So, if you just hunt it every day and run it in the ground, you've got nothing to show for it. But if we can continue the effort and the work that he started, you know, laying the groundwork for 65 years ago, then then that special place carries on through history. You mentioned earlier, uh, and I don't remember the exact time frame or what years it was, but when they actually cleared the timber, it was because there was a very short duck season. I think you had said 20 days, maybe, right. two duck limits. Mm -hmm. So here we are, 2019, January, we're, we're at the end of the duck season. Uh, there's a lot of controversy right now on where are the ducks. Yeah. You, you see the social media posts and all the stuff. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? I'm, I'm gonna open that can of worms because we've had that conversation before. Uh, personally, I think there's a lot of factors that play into this, good and bad, but I think ducks are cyclic on, on production and migration patterns. Right. And I really keyed in on that 20-day duck season because 
it tells me we were there at one time. It wasn't in my lifetime, but we were there. Right. And and personally, it, it seems like we're headed that direction again. What's your thoughts on what all's going on in the duck world right now? Well, I think you're right on what you just touched on there. When people talk about duck numbers, you know, every year we get the new magazine. Numbers are up, numbers are up. Rarely ever do they tell us they're down. Well, if we really want numbers up, why don't we cut the, the limits back? I mean, we control that, right? But as far as where the ducks are now, and I... I talk to people all the time and their comments always, well, it's not cold enough, it's not cold enough. Well, last year it was incredibly cold. We had more ice last year than I can remember maybe any year before. And I still talk to a lot of people that wondered where the ducks were. So if we didn't have them last year when it's cold and we don't have them this year in an El Nino pattern, what's going on? And I don't have the answer. I know in October, we had over 100,000 ducks here on our farm. Now, I think we're still holding a bunch of those birds. I think that's why they're wise. I think that's why they're making us pull our hair out. But I think you have two different migrations. You've got birds that migrate on the photo period. You guys yeah, get a lot of that absolutely. south of us, and we get a lot of that here. That's our early season. That's our bread, bread and butter in November. That's absolutely. right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think we've been using those birds all year. I mean, but I think in this, this type pattern, we, we've not really had the fronts that bring in your birds from the north. And I do believe, and I think you guys can see this too, when we do get a cold front, we get some new ducks down, you know, or even if it ices up here, if our ducks leave, they come right back as soon as it thaws back out. So those birds are kind of short term. It's immediate fix for something. And hey, my, my idea is maybe kind of out there in left field, but I feel like when, when duck hunting really gets good for us, you're getting the cold fronts that are pushing down new birds in January, but at the same time, that their days are getting longer. You've passed the solstice. We're starting to see Pintail and Gadwall coming back north, mm -hmm. and they're going to the nesting ground. A lot of people, yep. under the, they're misunderstanding it. They think, oh, they're just now getting here. Well, it's true, but they're getting they're here from the, the south. Opposite direction. That's right. I agree with you. We, we shoot a lot of birds on the tail end of the season. We start getting blue-winged teal showing back up. Yep. Hadn't been a, that's birds, I believe, coming from Mexico, moving back up. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when I came in your lodge, you know, the first thing I saw was beautiful mounts, and you got all these speckle bellies with the neck collars. Yep. And that was kind of hit home to me because actually in college, I observed neck collars right. my senior year. That was part of my job is riding around doing that. And uh, in that conversation with you, we actually found out that we know a guy together, yep. uh, Paul Link. Is biologist from Louisiana that's doing a lot of telemetry work with speckabellies and uh, uh, he's actually talking to you about potentially doing some here on the farm maybe next year. Yeah, his research is really intriguing to me because it's, you know, we, we talk about being cyclic and how things are changing. You know, he's studying southwest Louisiana and, and why the speckabellies aren't doing the same thing they did decades ago. And I know there's all kinds of talk about them following rice production into Arkansas along the coast. but. I started communicating with him, hey, look at all the birds that we're getting in October. You know, we've got 50 to 100,000 speculators on our farm in a, in a given period there. Where are they going from there? What happens to them? Are they going further south? Are they staying in this area and just dispersing out as we get more water? So I kind of posed that question to him, and he was curious as well. So, we so for people that don't know, and a lot of that study information has not been released to the public yet, but old-fashioned telemetry was you you put a, a radio collar on a goose and you had to go out with a truck that had an antenna right and you had to go locate the birds and then do some triangulation to try to locate exactly where it was mm -hmm. at it was it was a quite an undertaking yeah today with cell phone technology there's a new chip now that paul's actually got on these birds it's the one that collar it's yeah. camo so the guys don't see them right used to we did big bright colors so we could watch them with our binoculars yeah. now trying to camo them so they don't get shot, so you know people don't key in on that. Correct. And uh, these these transmitters actually ping off of cell phone towers. And yeah. so these birds, anytime they're in cell phone service, their location is pretty much being recorded. 
And what's really cool is they're solar powered, so they, they recharge when the sun's out. Right. And they've got a, 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 a database that they can store for many points, even when they're not transmitting out of cell phone. That's right, yeah. So when they go to Canada and, and up to the Arctic to do their nesting, they obviously go offline. But as they're coming back into cell phone service, then all these points start pinging in. Yeah. And it's been remarkable to see where these birds are going. And I know I've, I've looked at a lot of the maps. And I think what it's showing us that, that the general public doesn't realize is how far these birds move daily. And, and it's not just when you think of a bird migrating flies from Canada to the Gulf Coast, but these birds are turning around and coming backwards. And, and I call it a reverse migration. I don't know if it's really considered that, but uh, we looked at some of these maps where they banded geese in southern Louisiana, and overnight these birds relocate back to Arkansas. And a lot of times, not necessarily a weather event. You know, it, some of it's unexplained. Some of it was hunting pressure. We know the season opened a week later, and those birds turned around and went right back, came up here, perhaps to the resting yeah. area where they're not getting chased around. So uh, we're going to do some duck stuff this year. I know Paul's got some transmitters that's going to put on ducks, so it's going to be really interesting to see where those guys go. Uh, they had some problems with the transmitters for geese were, were not adaptable to a duck. They were too big, so right. they, they've been able to locate some small enough for a duck. So we're really excited. I know us at Gros Savant, we're actually going to work with Paul on trying to find some areas to band a few of those ducks if yep. we can get some after the season. So it's going to be real interesting to see. And I think it's going to be an eye-opener that, you know, in years ago when I was a young kid, we'd think our ducks moved out of the area because of rain, weather, whatever. We think they just hopped over to the next county or the next right. parish in our case. But they're not. They're moving multiple states. Yeah. And I know for a fact that even right now, Paul has told me, I think, almost every state up to flyway has got a speck of belly that was banded in Louisiana back in September and October. Yeah. And here it is, you know, it's the season's not over yet. Right. So uh, equally so, I think our birds move from Louisiana into Mexico and back up. Because when you look at the span across the Gulf of Mexico, that's not much different than jumping up to Arkansas and Missouri sure. going the opposite yeah. direction. So I think when we wake up those cold mornings or for whatever weather-related reason and our birds are gone and everybody's, where do they go? They moved big time. Well, I think it'll give a whole new understanding. You know, people always talk about new birds, or you see new birds, and of course, I always ask them, "How do you know they're new?" But I think that'll really open some eyes to, to yeah, we're, we're, we've got new birds, but they came from the south, or they came from straight west of us. So, a lot of people always assume that, well, this bird just came from Canada because the weather got cold. Well, not necessarily. I had a buddy ask me the other day. We were talking about he wants to help us with this project. And we were talking about just regular, you know, metal bands, a standard band you see on everyone's lanyard. And he asked in regards to the GPS transmitters what, what the big difference was. Like, well, you get two data points on a standard leg band, when they were banded and when yeah. they were killed. It's like, but nothing in between. Right, that's it. So that's, you know, it's two points of information, which 50 years ago taught us a lot. But now you're getting a, a bird that pings off every cell phone tower he passes. It's an unlimited amount of data that you're getting in a short period of time, and it's it's really changing how we look at wildlife, I think. Yeah, and, and another thing, looking at this year's duck season, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you guys had a bunch of rainfall. We we had a, a, a severe drought going through the summer this year, yeah. one of the worst we've had in a long time. And then when it started raining in September, it hadn't stopped. I mean, we need to build an ark. It's, <laughs> it's getting bad down yeah. in Louisiana. But uh, I saw a U.S. geological map the other day that showed how many streams and rivers or at flood stage or above this year during duck season in the United States. And it lit the entire Mississippi flyway up 
and yeah. showing it. It's been flooded. It's one of the wettest years we've had, really nationwide, when you look at it. And then they also combine that with one of the warmest winters we've had in probably more than 30 years. So, right. uh, you know, when you talk about multitudes of factors, and I know everybody's got a theory out there, and there's a lot of them, but I really think that's also played a role into kind of what's happening this year. Those birds are, they've got to be scattered out everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I don't like El Nino winters. I mean, and you look at our forecast for El Nino, it's above average temperature and above average rainfall, and that's exactly what we've had this year. Uh, well, wives tale in farming up here is if it rains the first day of the month, it'll rain 15 days out of the month. Well, it rained October 1st, November 1st, and December 1st. Imagine what 45 days of rain in those three months does. It floods everything, and that's what we're looking at right now. You know, I, I almost hate to make this statement because it's kind of sticking my neck out, but uh, everybody, I, I hear a lot of people point fingers. It's either Ducks Unlimited's fault, Delta Waterfowl, <laughs> everybody's got their opinion. My opinion it is any organization that promotes a duck is good. I think they all have their place. Uh, I hate when I see people blame other organizations for stuff because they all have something good. Uh, I know Ducks Unlimited is doing a tremendous amount of work now on the coast. We're losing uh, 100 square miles a year, whatever the size yeah. of Delaware. You know, they're down there working on that. I know they're up there in Canada doing the same thing. We still, I, I'm on a committee now that, that reviews some of that stuff. and. It was surprising to me to know that we're still up in north of the border farming right to the to the to the potholes. Yeah. I mean they're still losing you would think that that's a conservation practice that we've we've learned and overcome that, but right. it's not. In Canada they're still losing nesting habitat. So yeah. that's a big factor that's playing into all this too. So uh, I know when everybody starts hollering and, and we're gonna have there's gonna be a lot of conversations uh, fixing to come up on yeah, all this. Yeah, it's gonna get worse. Uh, I do see us going to a shorter season and a shorter limit. It, it's probably a good thing. Uh, the The question is now, though, is this whole industry has developed yeah. with with clothing, boats, uh, guns. It's just really blown up in the last twenty years. So we've been on. I know in Louisiana, we've been on twenty year run of a six day, six sixty day, six duck limit right. season. And uh, if we were to go to thirty and three. You know, what's that going to do to the business aspect of duck hunting? Because right. that's never been a factor before. Yeah. Well, look where 2 and 20 pushed us, you know, in the 60s. But, I, you know, I agree with you. We were talking about this earlier. Uh, you mentioned some clients that, that came in one year, killed a limit of uh, four teal, had a great time, came out the next year, and it was six duck limit, hunted a little bit longer, and wasn't, wasn't quite as happy with the hunt. And we measure success the same way. It's a limit. It doesn't matter to me if it's two ducks or six ducks. When you kill your limit, you feel like you've achieved a goal. And I'm 100%, I think it'd be great to scale back. You know, we talk about managing gun pressure. Well, that's exactly the conversation we're having right now. The one thing we can control, we can't make farmers put nesting habitat back, you know, take it out of production. We can't make them do that. But we can control how many birds we kill. We can control how many days out of the season we chase them. And that's one thing that we do here. We leave water late into the year. We'll, leave, we'll have water in, in April. And a lot of the farmers around us look at us like we're crazy. I'm like, man. And we want to send those birds back to the nesting ground as fat and healthy as possible. They may never come back to this farm again, but at least their body fat is going to be high when they get there, and they're going to have the most successful hatch that they can have as long as we can help them. And that's something I think a lot of landowners and managers could do along the way to kind of boost that habitat. I mean, they're not 
you're not getting it right there on the border, but it, you could send yeah. them back healthier. That That is a great point, too. And, you know, we talked about those birds late season actually coming from the south versus coming down. I know we have a lot of people in our area warmer later season, but after the first of the year, the ducks have already pair bonded. Uh, right. You look at your mallard hens, you start seeing the, the, the male and the female flying around. They don't respond to decoys anymore like they used to the first bit because they're, they're bonded now. Yeah. And I know in a lot of cases with us, we'll actually pick up a big decoy spread and go down to just a handful because they've paired up now. Mm -hmm. You see little groups here and there. So it's interesting for you to make that comment because we're in two opposite states and you're kind of saying the same things that we've been talking about all along. Yeah. You know, and so it is important that we send some healthy ducks back up. And by that time of the year, they've already made bonded right. and are moving in that direction and starting their courtship. So uh, I, I really, it's cool that you made that statement. So, you know, you and I have been talking about some sensitive subjects here that are going to be talked about quite a bit here in the future. And I like to shoot ducks. I love to pull the trigger. I'm sure you right. do. But at the same time, we're both very similar in the fact that I, I manage Grow Savant and you're managing the, the Buyer Hunt Club, which you're a small landowner in the right. scheme of how big Grow Savant sure. is. But we are identical when it comes to, to providing an experience. Right. And both clubs have vast history. We all go back de decades ago with not my grandfather's, but the family that, that I work for, mm -hmm. and in your case, your, your grandfather. And there's so much more to duck hunting than pulling the trigger. And I think that's, that's one of the things that whether we go to a 30-day season or we continue to 60-day season, that experience doesn't go away. It's still there. And so what do you think as uh, far as keeping your clientele happy? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on providing the, the, the true duck hunting waterfowlers experience? And to answer your question, you know, I'm not positive what the experience, uh, what that's going to be in the future. I think a lot of people, and some people blame it on the younger people who duck hunting today, but I think a lot of people are really motivated just by killing a limit and having that massive, insane duck hunt. You see all these videos, you know, you see the tornadoes of snow geese, and they want that experience all the time. And I think a lot of people forget the actual history of waterfowling, you know, the stuff that we see on the walls here and it's your guys' place. So I think, I think if we can understand what waterfowling is and the passion that we share and, and the, you know, the people that we talk to and the circles we run in, I think that's the experience. Well, yeah, we all love to pull the trigger. I mean, that's why we duck hunt, right? That's what's fun. But at the end of the day, it's not the memories that we make in the blind. The most of the stuff I remember growing up in this building, and I hope that my children remember, are the memories we make right here. The socializing, the fraternization between fellow hunters. I think that's what the experience is supposed to be. Well, look, well, how are look, you doing? Look, who, look what the dog drug in here. Huh? Good to see you. Man. Good to see you. Likewise. When did you just roll in? I had just I just rolled in, buddy. I just <laughs> rolled in. I stopped at the boudin tray and I made my way back. <laughs> you know well, you're already a step ahead of us because we haven't had it. The boudin is pretty good. I've got to figure out where that come from. No, actually, I didn't. He's, he's already got you're trying it. trying to make so him I, feel at home. I got to test it. I'm waiting to see if it's the real deal. You've done well. Well, look, I ain't from South Louisiana, but from my knowledge, it's the real deal. I promise. Well, good. I'm ready to try some. You actually walked in on a, a fairly uh, controversial subject here. We've been sitting here debating from one lodge manager to the other on the, the future of duck season and where we're going. You know, there's a lot of a lot of talk these days about where are the ducks, and uh, you practically hunt every day all over the country. You, I'm sure you got an opinion on it. 
you know how opinions are. You know, <laughs> yep, everybody's exactly. got one, right? Yep. Um, but you know, the ducks are still here. Um, but evolution is ongoing. You know, and I kind of heard Kaysen say something about everybody wants to pull the trigger, everybody wants to shoot the limit, which is true. We all do. We all love the smell, the, the, the smell of burnt yeah. powder. I mean, that, that's a big part of what we do. That being said, having a little knowledge of, of ducks and how they act and, and the fact that evolution is ongoing, you think about it, this, this particular year for those of us in this part of the world, let's look at the weather patterns from here backwards. <clears throat> I mean, we, we, I've not fought ice once all year. Right. And I, you haven't either. I'm dang sure no. <laughs> we don't. Um, <clears throat> when you look at that, you look at a big Mississippi River in the mid-latitude part of the world. You look at a mild winter. Um, the freeze line stayed about mid-Missouri. Um, a lot of food up there. A lot of people, more people managing for ducks. Like we, right. we took for granted for years that we didn't do it on purpose. It just happened here. Mm -hmm. But now that's changed. And when you add all those steps together, it's kept most of our ducks to the north. That being said, you read some of the reports. I know you looked at some of Louisiana Arkansas numbers on other species, there was a lot of birds, you know. Yep. Um, our mallards have hung out. Now, who knows what this cold front coming this weekend is going to do. I'm a little concerned it's too little too late. Yeah. Once you get into January, the photo period changes and it's harder and harder to push them. But that being said, look, we still got ducks. We still got a lot of ducks. If all the snowpack we're starting to get on the prairies right now, have another good hatch, build things up. Man, look, the thing about duck hunting is just we're always optimistic. Always be looking to the future, hoping for the best, and know that in time the great duck gods will smile kindly upon us. Yep. And and you being here now, this is a prime example of what he and I have been talking about, talking about the experience, and it's not just pulling the trigger. And no matter what happens, we're going to have a great time tonight. We're going to sit in this beautiful lodge. We're going to talk about oh, yes, history and, and, and the things that are to come. And it's going to be a, a wonderful time. And time spent with good friends. And you so, bet. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes talking about the past is what makes the future better. <laughs> that's right. You know what I mean? I was looking at some of the pictures here as I walked back. And, and, and man, that's cool history. You know, I've heard of your granddaddy for years. Yeah. And just to, to be here and experience that is pretty dang cool. And knowing some of the stuff that's going on in this part of the world and, and how it all compares to southwest Louisiana, man, that's, that's neat stuff, boys. We are fortunate. We are blessed to have the opportunities that we have today and the things that we all get to do on a daily basis. If you step back and look at it, divine intervention. That's we're blessed Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're making a living ducking. Right. You know, fishing. Yes, There's worse fishing things. Ducking, absolutely. You know, yep. I and mean, thank God for our veterans that defend our country, and it's great to be living in America. You know. Amen. So, Bottom line, yep. where else? Where else could a dumb redneck like me make a living doing something blowing <laughs> a duck call and shooting ducks? Yep. I mean, come on. It's really cool. It's pretty cool. It's good stuff, yeah. man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah, being thank here. you, Casey. Hey, thanks Bible for being here. I'm enjoying it. It's really great. We're gonna have a lot of fun. And, uh, did you save us a piece of boudin? Yeah, there's a little bit. There's a little bit left. All right, let's go get something to eat. All right, sounds good, man.